Welcome back to another exciting episode of Seen and Heard, industry updates for the modern dairy family. I'm so happy today to be joined by a special guest co-host, Annie Akmoody, Western United Dairy's Director of Economic Affairs. Welcome, Annie. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us today and filling in. Darby's out of town for a few days, so we really appreciate you stepping up and and taking over for, for today's episode. No problem. So episode 13, we're already 13 weeks into this endeavor. And I think, um, I think it's, it's going to be a good episode this week. We have a lot going on, a lot of updates to lead you into the long 4th of July weekend. So, um, I don't know, Annie, what do you have going this weekend? Oh, not too much. Probably a lot of hearing, uh, people in my neighborhood complaining about fireworks running too late that, uh, (laughs) it's kind of first on the docket. Other than that, just, you know, relaxing, maybe enjoy the pool a little bit. Good deal. Yeah, I guess the good news is there will be fireworks, but um, <laughs> not probably the way we're used to. So I'll be I'll probably be staying home and there's a little fireworks show here that they're supposed to be able to see from the whole valley wherever they're they're putting it on. So, yeah, good deal. Um, just take advantage of a couple lazy days, I think, is my plan. That sounds great. So it's been an exciting week um, again in the markets, Annie. So we'll have a, an exciting update from you, uh, plus a little bit of extra information from today's update about what producers should look for in their checks this next month. Um, we're going to hear from Anya um, on an update about the Chapter 3.5 hearing that was recently had and then the Chapter 3.0 court date that's coming up. Rochelle provided us with a quick update from the Luceros Unidos program and we're going to wrap it up today with a Q&A uh, with Paul Souza about some carb truck rules and maybe some confusion that's been out there we'll be able to clear up. That sounds like a lot of information. Yeah, we're, we're hitting the ground running on this long weekend. <laughs> Perfect. So I'll start with the market update. And like you said, it's been another good week. Um, so, you know, knock on wood, I think at this point, I, I didn't expect, but we're still looking at really strong prices in particular when it comes to cheese um and so if you look at cme prices they went all the way up to two dollars 81 a pound last week um retreated a little bit this week but still you know really strong prices in the upper 260 a pound level and so definitely uh something to be pretty excited about although this is not going to hit everybody's uh, milk check the same and i'll get to that here in a minute um but so the blocks prices are really strong barrels are also really strong and that's our uca prices you know so cme used to be in the california formula and now we use usda prices and they they tend to lag uh, cme prices and that's really what we've been seeing and so that's the good news is we're finally reaping those uh high prices into directly into our formula so the usda block price was a 253 per pound this week and barrels um gained nine cents they're not too far behind at 237 a pound and so really strong um cheese prices like I mentioned, um, you know, now we operate under a federal milk marketing order. And so under California, all prices would go into the pool because um, almost all the milk was pooled. I mean, we're talking 96, 97 percent. Now, under the federal order, plants have the, the option to depool if it's advantageous for them to do so. And so you can imagine uh, USDA just announced class three price for um, for June, and it was $21.04. And so that's really strong um, class three price. But if you compare that to class four, which is $12.90, there's a really big gap between the two. And so this creates kind of an incentive for class three to to opt out of the pool. And we've had this relationship for the last few months. So it's nothing, you know, super surprising about class three milk not being in the pool. 
But the fact that it's such a high value and it's not going to be contributing to those who are paid full prices, I think is what's going to create a lot of um, maybe anxiety when the milk checks come out, because there's going to be a really wide range of prices paid in the state in June. I mean, I, I'm not going to say it's going to be a record, but it's probably going to be close to nothing that we've seen before in terms of, you know, the range of what people are, um, are going to get paid. And so um, if, if you recall, producers are paid on class three price on their component. You know, if your milk is pulled, obviously, and your uh, processor or co-op pays on regulated prices, you've been used to seeing the component uh, prices based on class three and then adjustment by the PPD. And so the PPD fluctuates a lot. Last few months has been negative, you know, 20, 30 cents. It's not been uh, too bad. We had a, you know, a couple months ago, it, it went down to like negative $3 and um, that raised some eyebrows. But um, I, I think June is, is getting pretty close to setting, um, uh, not necessarily a record, but for California order anyway, um, a record. USD has not announced it yet, but just based on my estimates, it could be a negative PPD of minus $7 um, and 45 cents. Wow. So you're, you're, yeah, that it, so if you see the high prices first and you get really excited and then you see that deduction, um, I, I think there's going to be a lot of money coming out. And the reason for that is because like I mentioned, the FMMO pays on class three, even though there's no class three milk in the pool. And so they need to adjust the paycheck to really reflect what kind of dollars are available in the, in the pool. And because all the high value milk will not be in the pool. Well, it's not official yet, but I think we can strongly anticipate that, right. um, then it's not going to be sharing uh, those revenues for producers. So obviously those who are paid directly on a cheese price formulas will uh, probably be uh, celebrating when that uh, milk statement comes around, but everybody else might be a little bit disappointing because we keep hearing about all these market improvements and that might not be reflected on um, on milk check. And I don't know if you've heard some of them recently, but I think that um, it's been the expectation at least in, in recent weeks, as people keep talking about this really high cheese price. Yeah, absolutely. And I do know I talked to a couple of cheese producers that I work with, and they've seen a little bit of a raise actually from their processor, um, all proprietary processors, of course, um, you know, they've, they've been notified that they're going to get a little bit of a bump up. So it's good that those processors are taking that um, and, and giving it back to the producers. But I think it, is, it will be interesting to see how that pans out over the next couple of months as far as um, plants choosing whether or not to deep pool. Yeah. And, you know, that estimated PPD, obviously, is my estimate. So it could be different from that. Um, and also uh, processors like co-ops or even proprietary plant, like you mentioned, might decide not to pass all that along. You know, so there's a lot of flexibility in terms of what um, what plants can pay on their DFMMO. You know, I've been talking about cheese a lot. Um obviously is delicious. So it deserves a lot of attention, but um, the other commodities are also doing a little bit better. And so the butter price, the USD butter price um, step, took a little step back this week, but at $1.82 per pound, I mean, we're way higher than where we were two months ago. And so those are decent price level considering how things have been going in the market. And I know restaurants are reopening and that created, you know, the push that push the push that push the the cheese price that's really a uh, wide vocabulary here but um <laughs> it really there's still slowdowns you know around the country i mean i know california there's a lot of counties that are closed for at least three weeks and so yep. things are really uneven and um there's there's you know these good news that are helping prop the market and this demand that came back but i think we still keep a little bit of caution in terms of you know we're not out of the woods yet in terms of 
this restaurant industry and how much they potentially could struggle. And so where the butter price is at, I think is a really good level, $1.82 per pound. Uh, stocks are pretty high. And so I think it, it, it'll take a little while before we start seeing any further movement upward okay. on, um, on that one. Uh, Non-federal milk gained almost four cents this week, still below dollar ninety-five cents a pound. But the CME, the price has just been hovering around dollar, and outside the U.S., the price is um, reaching up a little higher. Um, you know, around dollar twenty a pound in Oceania, and so there's a little potential for uh, powder to to go up, and also for our export to still be competitive. And so overall, I think another uh, decent week of um, prices. So so we'll take it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for a good week of good news to get us into the long weekend, Annie. Absolutely. And so um, that really concludes it. And now um, I think I'm looking forward to hearing what uh, you and uh, Anya have to say about uh, quota. Yep, we'll join Anya and myself. We had a discussion a little bit earlier in the day about all things quota. So I think she had a disclaimer during the during our talk. If anybody needs to fast forward, now would be the time. Welcome back, Anya. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So today, Anya, we're going to chat a little bit about what's going on with the elephant in the industry, which is quota. There's a lot that's been happening over the last couple of months. And Darby and I briefly covered the Chapter 3.5 hearing um, with Annie a few weeks back. But could you give us a little bit more of a recap with that as we lead into the rest of the conversation? Yeah, I think that the elephant is more of a continent. And if you're a producer who's really tired about of talking about quota, I'm sorry. And if you're a producer who's really into talking about quota, I'm sorry. Um, but I think it's grating on everybody's nerves with not a lot of uh, relief in the future because there are so many legal challenges going on. So we concluded the Chapter 3.5 hearing, which I know uh, the ladies covered two weeks ago. Um, but Chapter 3.5 hearing is essentially a fight over voting thresholds. Uh, StopQuip alleges that the quota program has been placed into a new area of the California Food and Ag Code, which is true, um, but that that should warrant a lower, vo a lower voting threshold on how quota um, versus how quota has been operated in the past. So in the past, you had a supermajority of dairy farmer voting um, that had been required to change the program or in this case, terminate it. Um, and if StopQuip is successful in their pursuit to prevail on a 3.5 hearing, then they will win the right to uh, run a referendum at a lower voting threshold, 51%, than the current 65%, uh, which is uh, effectively would terminate the quip if they were able to do that. Okay, and that was a, a two-day hearing. I think we all remember, we maybe made some jokes about all the, the little bit of a circus that was surrounding it, but um, that was three weeks ago now, over a two-day yeah. period. So we're still, it sounds like the briefs have been submitted and we're still awaiting a decision from the judge. So yeah, there were a number, and again, if, if you're sick of tiring and tired of talking about quota, please feel free to fast forward this portion of the podcast. But there were a number of additional legal machinations that happened uh, during, immediately after, and in the weeks uh, following the hearing there was an objection, a strong objection to um, the declaration of a former undersecretary of ag, Jim Houston, um, by StopQuip. Uh, CDFA has also objected to his declaration, uh, which is essentially his version of events of what happened in 2017, putting the quota implementation plan into effect. 
And so both those parties objecting is interesting. Um, we, Western United Dairies, didn't have uh, anything to say about that, but uh, some of the folks involved in the case definitely do. The judge um, made several attempts to quell the objection during the hearing, but ultimately decided that he would rule on the merits of that objection at a later time. Uh, additionally, parties involved uh, asked to submit something called a post-hearing brief. Uh, and those uh, post-hearing briefs came from uh, Stop Quip. They came from uh, the United Dairy Families of California. And they also came from a new organization uh, called Save Quip, which has been set up to maintain quota uh, as it stands today. Uh, in addition to uh, seeking a, a higher value per pound for quota. So those are the three organizations that submitted extremely lengthy, and I'm talking like 75 to 150 pages of post-hearing briefs that the judge will also have to review and they will have to put into the record before a decision can be made. Okay. So while we're awaiting that decision and the judge um, combing through that documentation, in the meantime, there are some other things happening. So can you share what's happened this week and what's coming in the next couple of weeks? Sure. Uh, the organization Stop Quip Dairy Tax Coalition, uh, which is the same uh, group in the 3.5 case, has decided that they are also challenging the, uh, the legality of the assessment of quota. Uh, it's, a, it's a legal challenge of something called Chapter 3.0. And uh, that is going through the Sacramento Superior Court. It's been on hold for some time because of the coronavirus pandemic. The courts were shut down, but that case has been rescheduled for July 28th um, of this month, just a short time away. And opening arguments and briefs have all been submitted. Uh, those briefs were primarily submitted, of course, by Stop Quip. Uh, Save Quip has asked the court for consideration to become something called an intervener in the case. Okay. Um, as an intervener, Save Quip is essentially allowed the same legal platform as Stop Quip and CDFA. So CDFA is, is of course, the... Um, the, the plaintiff in this case, they are the ones being sued by Stop Quip. And so uh, the judge has not made a decision on whether or not he's going to allow, excuse me, he did make a decision on uh, Save Quip will be allowed as an intervener. Okay. Organizations of Western United Dairies and United Dairy Families of California have decided to submit something called Amici, Amicus Curiae, Friends of the Court, to the case, which essentially provides the judge and the court with a lengthy background on the history of quota, the status of quota, um, we are board intended to provide a broader farmer perspective in providing the court these documents. Okay, so correct me if I'm wrong, but the amicus curiae basically means we're just there to provide information. We're not picking a side. We're just trying to help the case move forward with the best information available. 100% correct. Uh, the okay. friend of the court so keep in mind, though, there, there are legal parameters around that statement. Um, obviously, Western United has members on both sides of this issue. Um, but what, what we did in providing the court with this amicus is cleared the runway for us to have access to information coming out of the court so that we can basically tell our members what's going on. This was a okay. unanimous decision by our board 
to be involved. Um, again, sharing broader knowledges, uh, knowledge and facts on, on the history of quota. But we really knew that a lot of our members are, despite whatever side they're on, would want to know what the outcome of the case is and, and how it's going to affect their pocketbook. Okay, great. So it, it just provides us a platform to kind of be a two-way street between the courts and dairy producers. That's the goal. Providing info. Okay. As of this morning, though, um, Stop Quip and a separate creamery, uh, Farmdale Creamery, uh, which is an ancillary party in this case, they have uh, filed formal objections to our Amici, uh, which is plural for Amicus Curie. Uh, I don't know what the outcomes of those are yet. We just found out this morning that they have um, officially let the court know that we, they do not um, they do not want our briefs with the rest. Interesting. Okay. So we'll keep our fingers crossed that we can at least um, become a friend of the court in this case and get the right information to both the courts and our dairymen as we move forward. Yeah, and if members um, or anyone listening to this podcast uh, would like to see what our amicus curiae says, it should be on our website by Friday, July 3rd. Um, we are filing it today, uh, July 2nd, uh, with the court. So it should be probably up and running tonight, but I, I'd rather be safe than say for sure. It will be on the website by tomorrow. But uh, you will see in the amicus document, uh, and this is, this is what an amicus is when you say you're a friend of the court, you're a friend of, um, you know, you're trying to tell the judge a, a, a broad variety of opinions. In this case, uh, you could say that we are supporting CDFA's point of view, which is that they lawfully and appropriately ran the QUIP program um, the way producers intended, that they put the QUIP program in place the way producers intended, and that they ran the referendum voting thresholds the way the producers intended. And so our amicus does back up that point of view. Okay. So moving forward over the next few weeks and months, what can our members expect as far as this discussion goes? Well, uh, for better or worse, it's a very long process. We have uh, two prongs here that we have to pay attention to. The 3.5 hearing, which was overseen by an administrative law judge, uh, that is on a completely separate track than okay. the, the Chapter 3.0 litigation. Um, so the 3.5 is not litigation as much as Stop Quip is asking this independent administrative law judge to make a determination on whether or not CDFA was correct, uh, you know, and in, in where they put the Quip program and, and how they will run the threshold. Okay. If they are successful, um, in lowering the voting threshold, uh, Stop Quip, I presume, would run a producer referendum asking producers to consider termination of the quota program with a much lower threshold uh, that would qualify that. So instead okay. of the 65% of producers representing 51% of the milk, it's a straight majority, 51%, and there's no volume threshold. So that okay. will play out. Again, like I said, the judge probably has about 10,000 pages to go through uh, to you know, hopefully arrive at his decision. Uh, that's one track. The other track, the other prong of the approach is what happens at the July 28th hearing. Uh, it's, it is light, it, it's a possibility, but it's unlikely that the judge, which is a separate judge, a different judge, <laughs> 
in the Sacramento mm-hmm. case, Superior Courtroom. Um, right. They could make a ruling on the date of the hearing, which is July 28th. I, I would be very surprised if that happens. Um, okay. And so I'm actually not entirely sure how that hearing is going to play out. I don't know if it's going to be another a circus zoom call <laughs> or if it's going to be if they're going to have actual ringmasters in there or if it's going to be an in-person with masks and face shields hearing I'm, I'm not clear on that we will let our members know as soon as we understand if and when there are opportunities to get information view that but of course if the court accepts uh, Western United Dairies amicus uh, we will have a lot more information to provide our members than otherwise. Okay, great. Well, we'll be um, checking back in with you over the next few weeks just to make sure members are aware of what's going on and how they can participate if they would choose to. But thanks for bringing us this update today, Anya. Absolutely. And if uh, folks out there listening are concerned uh, or have questions about Western's involvement in this, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. You can always pop me an email at anja, it's Anya, at wudairies.com. Um, you can also get a hold of the girls to get through me, but we're trying to be as open and transparent about the processes that are happening, uh, both at our board level and the, the organization's decision to maximize as many producers' voices as we possibly can. And that's not been without controversy, but I am here to listen to your concerns or questions, and hopefully we can, uh, with our membership, make the best decisions possible. Definitely. And I will just say I've taken a lot of calls and, and emails from members over the last couple months with concerns about things they may be read or heard. Please always, always feel free to reach out and ask us. We're happy to, to tell you exactly what's going on. And we'd rather you ask us directly than, than the coffee shop talk that we often hear from. Absolutely. Great. Well, thanks, Anya. Have a great long weekend. Thank you. Well, that was really interesting information on uh, Quota. There sure has been a lot going on, and it, it's not about to end anytime soon. And so I'm sure we'll have more features on this podcast when uh, we get closer to the court date. And so now I think we will hear from Rochelle on the Lecheros uh, update. Hello, dairy members of Western United Dairies. We're back in placing employees at dairies to fill in spots. In case of needing any type of dairy experience employees, please feel free to call the office at 209-527-6453 or email me at rashell at w-u-d-a-i-r-i-e-s dot com and ask for your employer questionnaire to start the process. It just takes a couple of minutes. Remember, we are here to help you out and make your job so much easier. We do the advertising and interviews to find you the perfect candidate. Remember to call the office number at 209-527-6453 or email me at rashell at w-u-d-a-i-r-i-e-s dot com. Thank you and have a nice day. Thanks, Rochelle, for the update. Um, I hope a lot of members are taking advantage of this great program. Now we will move on to a Q&A with uh, Paul and Melissa. Uh, Paul, our uh, Mr. Sunshine, uh, will be uh, explaining some of the carb rules that, um, and reminders that uh, might be helpful to membership. Well, we're so glad to be back with Paul Souza, our Director of Environmental Affairs today. Welcome, Paul. Thank to you, the Melissa. Podcast. Thank you for having me on once again. Uh, glad to be here and uh, glad to be able to update our members. 
Absolutely. And we do this Q&A section every week. And some weeks we're kind of a little bit at a loss, especially during this busy summertime. We may not be hearing as much from members. But Darby and I both had a lot of calls last week about some confusion surrounding the California Air Resources Board rules and maybe what they mean and then a new rule that came out and what that means for producers. So we thought we'd have you back, Paul, to kind of talk through some of those um, intricacies of the resources. Sure. Board and that's exactly what I do, you know, trying to uh, interpret and understand um, regulations and then have, uh, you know, dairy producers, our members, um, you know, explain it to them in a way that they understand it and trying to, you know, uh, sort fact from fiction. And so uh, I have heard some of those things. And so I think this is uh, very timely uh, based on some things that the Air Resources Board has done recently. The first question that sort of rises to the surface is, um, there have been some updates on the truck rule in California. And can you share with us what updates you have yeah, on so, that from the yeah, Air Resources sure. so, Board? Uh, first, I'm going to update on um, the old uh, existing truck rule that's been around for about a decade that requires all diesel-powered commercial trucks uh, with a gross vehicle weight rating of uh, more than 14,000 pounds uh, to have 2010 model year engines by 2023. Uh, then I will move into okay. um, a new rule that was uh, recently adopted by the Air Resources Board. So on this uh, existing truck rule, um, like I said, it, it applied to trucks uh, with more than th- uh, 14,000 pounds and powered by diesel engines. Uh, there was a schedule for how to move into, um, you know, replacing existing trucks uh, and retiring them. And it was basically starting with the oldest trucks and moving to the newest trucks uh, to get folks into those newer engines. So um, did trucks use for agriculture have to follow the same schedule? If I remember right, we were kind of on Correct. a different schedule. Uh, so trucks used in agriculture did get some extensions from the regular schedule used in the rule. Uh, based on some work that I did along with other agricultural organizations to show that that regular schedule was not going to be feasible for agriculture. I worked with other agricultural organizations at the time that that rule was adopted about 10 years ago. Uh, We looked at the age of agricultural trucks. They were much older than the normal fleet of over-the-road trucks. So our trucks would have been impacted first with replacement. Um, And that just didn't make sense. We were using our trucks less. Our trucks were older. We had less economic ability to replace them. And so we did get some uh, extensions for agriculture. Uh, Those extensions did come with the requirement that you had to report your truck and uh, get that extension uh, applied to your truck and then annual mileage limits. And currently the annual ag mileage limit is 10,000 miles per year. Uh, All of the extensions to the rule, agriculture and otherwise, will expire at the end of 2022. So most of these trucks will have to be replaced with trucks with a 2010 or model, uh, 2010 model year engine or newer uh, by January of 2023. Okay, so most trucks with older engines will have to be replaced, but is there a scenario where a truck can continue to remain in use after Yeah, there is a limited scenario. There's uh, an exemption from the rule completely. Uh, you're completely exempt except for reporting for low-use trucks that travel less than 1,000 miles per year because it's not cost-effective to replace those trucks for the emission reductions that you're getting and for the cost of replacing it. So I have found that there are a few trucks on dairies that meet those low mileage limits. Um, I would say they're certainly not the majority. They're just a few of trucks that are only used intermittently uh, for small jobs around the dairy. Uh, But most trucks with older engines will have to be replaced. 
Yeah, those thousand miles rack up pretty quickly, I bet, um, even if you're just going a, a few miles yeah, that, a day. It's really surprising, so, actually. My family's got a dairy, and uh, you know, I report these for my father, and I told him about that thousand-mile limit, and we have an, a dump truck that we don't use that much. It doesn't go that far, actually. I mean, it, it doesn't travel more than a half mile from the dairy, but that truck travels 2,700 miles a year. My dad was kind of blown away. You know, within a half-mile radius of the dairy, putting on 2,700 miles, that's a lot of back-and-forth trips. It adds up fast. Um, Paul, is there anything else you want to say about the existing truck rule and what producers should know? One question I often get when I'm helping members with this is, so if I buy a truck with a 2010 model year engine or newer, is that truck good forever? Can I keep that truck forever? And my answer has been that according to that existing rule that's been in place for 10 years, um, the answer is yes, but the Air Resources Board can always change the rules in the future. Yeah, it's it's kind of a tough one. I mean, I go to dairies where I see, I mean, they're still running trucks from the 50s on some places out here. And I think, um, you know, to maybe a lot of people in the general um, business industry that 2010 means they're, if they're buying a 2010 or newer truck, it's in some cases already 13 years old and they'll have it for a really long time. But in ag, we tend to run these trucks sometimes 50 or, you know, 40 years. So yeah, it's a long time. Great. Well, it looks like there's also a new rule that came into effect recently um, that may impact things a little bit for farms and yeah, their diesel and trucks. Yeah, and I think that this new rule uh, and some of the publicity around it is what's causing that confusion. So we just went over the existing truck rule that's been in place for a year, but now we got this new rule that was just adopted at the end of June by the Air Resources Board. Uh, it's called the Advanced Clean, uh, and they're going after even more emission reductions from heavy-duty trucks. Uh, with the goal of moving trucks to uh, zero emissions. So uh, either electric or fuel cell is the main goal of that rule. Um, This rule works very differently from the old truck rule in that it does not regulate existing trucks, uh, but focuses on sales of new trucks by manufacturers. Um, I've heard from the Air Resources Board that the old rule is uh, very cumbersome for them. They're regulating, you know, thousands of people that own trucks and So now they're only regulating just a handful of manufacturers that sell brand new trucks. Uh, What that rule does is starting in 2024 uh, and growing over time, manufacturers of trucks will have to meet a percentage requirement um, that grows uh, as the years go on of zero emissions trucks as a total of their sales. So, you know, farmers and truckers are not regulated by this. It's the manufacturers that are uh, regulated. There's also a reporting okay. requirement, so that, that's one requirement in there. There's two, it's a two-prong approach. One is on manufacturers to sell zero-emission trucks, and the other one is uh, a reporting requirement for fleets that have 50 or more trucks to report how they use their trucks, how many miles they drive and stop and go, that kind of stuff, to determine if it would be feasible for a zero-emissions truck to do that job. doesn't require replacement at this point. It just creates kind of a list for the Air Resources Board of Uh, trucks potentially that could be switched out to zero emissions. Um, So this rule does not require that anyone get rid of any truck at this time. Uh, Diesel power trucks are going to be around for a long time. They do a lot of our work. Uh, Long haul trucks are going to be very difficult to replace with these zero emission trucks. Um, Again, it's regulating truck manufacturers and not truck owners with regards to truck replacements. And that 50 truck threshold that you mentioned probably doesn't affect a lot of our dairy producers. I think we probably have a few guys that are doing some custom work that it's going to 
come into um, effect for, but we'll definitely be there to work through that with them should they have questions. Or exactly. Needs with uh, that. And that number was actually 100 trucks up until I think December of last year where they brought it down to 50. Uh, and so I didn't engage. I was aware of this rule and its development all along, and I've been kind of following it. Uh, but I didn't engage, uh, you know, when it was 100 trucks uh, and it's, you know, a rule on manufacturers selling some electric vehicles or fuel cell vehicles. Um, but when they brought it down to 50 trucks, there could potentially be some dairies that have to report, you know, their trucks and their mileage and how they're using their trucks. Uh, but I, I think that's going to be a very, very small number of dairies that potentially may have to do that. Yeah, I can think off the top of my head of some custom manure haulers and different things like that. But otherwise, hopefully, most of our guys can avoid this rule for the time being, at least the reporting requirement. Well, thanks so much, Paul. I'm sure you'll keep our members updated as anything new develops. And we'll be checking in with you again throughout the summer just to hear more yeah. exciting environmental news. But so far, things have been a little bit quieter this summer. I agree. It seems like. And as always, um, I want to offer to our members, if they have questions on this or any other environmental issue, uh, but since we're talking about trucks, you know, on this new rule or the old rule, um, I've been very engaged in this with the Air Resources Board. I am happy to um, take phone calls and answer our members' questions on this or any other environmental question they have. So in case members are unaware, our office number is 209-527-6453. And Paul, you're there mostly throughout the week unless you're out for a meeting. But um, definitely encourage members to call and ask those questions. And Paul is such a wealth of information when it comes to these regulations. I don't know where we'd be without Thank you, Paul. Melissa. Great. Well, thanks, Paul. We'll have you back here in a couple of weeks. We appreciate your time. Yep, have you a good too. weekend. Bye. Okay, Annie. Well, thank you again so much for, for taking the time and joining us today. We really appreciate your help, but also your great market reports. Keep those coming, huh? I sure hope so. It's always <laughs> great to chat with you and hopefully provide valuable information to everybody. And it sure doesn't hurt when it's, uh, when it's good news instead of the opposite. Absolutely. Before we um, get away, I just want to touch base with you, Annie, real quick. I've been getting a lot of phone calls this week about the CFAP program or the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program that FSA is administering. We still have some folks working to get in with their FSA offices to apply. So we just want to give a quick reminder to everybody that that program is open for about another 45 days, I think a month and a half. Um, so they should be able to get in and, and get their applications in, but just don't wait on calling your FSA office. Yeah, a lot. And some counties have been faster than others, but I, I know some of them are still a little bit backlogged. And so setting an appointment, you know, they're a couple weeks out. And so we definitely try to get in if you haven't yet. It's rare that there's, um, you know, decent amount of uh, free money out there. So I think it would be uh, a good idea to take advantage of it before um, the deadline passes in um, August. And so uh, there's still been a lot of questions. If you have questions, feel free to reach out. We've been, uh, you and I, I think have been putting a list of uh, common questions that were asked, but it seems like there's still new ones popping up here and there, but feel free to reach out, you know, either by email or phone. Um, always happy to, to help on that, uh, fi filling those applications for that program. Definitely. And we're glad to see a lot of dairymen have been paid. So it, it moves pretty quick once you get your application in and you'll get that check in the mail or in your bank account in, in a couple of days. So get that free money. Yes, Absolutely. Great. Well, again, thanks. Major thanks to Annie for joining us today. Also to Paul Souza on Yoradaba and to Rochelle 
hosts for bringing us um, some great updates for today's episode. And thank you all so much for listening. We hope you all have a wonderful 4th of July, a safe weekend, and everyone stays well and healthy through the summer. That sounds great. Have a really good weekend. And remember to reach out to us with questions, comments, and content requests. Uh, wud.pod at gmail.com. M-L-E-M-A at wudairies.com. D-A-R-B-Y at wudairies.com. And also remember, we love your feedback. If you could rate and review us on your favorite podcasting platform. Special thanks to Western United Dairy's 2020 business sponsors, Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, FNR Ag Services, Farm Credit Alliance, Moss Energy Works, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information about how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at woodairies.com. That's I-N-F-O at W-U-D-A-I-R-I-E-S dot com. Thank you.